Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry. Today we're going to proceed with a third segment on our discussion of the regulation of a specific class of T-cells called Tregs. Now this has been a blossoming um, podcast segment as all of these have been. Uh, I started out with hepatocellular carcinoma a while back and I ended up I think at 10 or 11 different uh, submissions for that. I'm hoping that this one doesn't go nearly as long, but I'm looking at the amount of material I've got. I'm th thinking it'll probably be at least two more. So with, let's just get started. Again, I'm Dan Guerra. Uh, I am a former professor of biochemistry, and I am a current research scientist in biochemistry. Um, and my podcast is all about taking a look at primary research uh, published in the uh, refereed literature, scientific literature, and then um, dissecting it, disambiguating it, and explaining it at various levels, including those which incorporate all of the other logos of the uh, specific discipline or subdiscipline under discussion. By that, I mean sort of the transcendental knowledge base of that subject, so that we can look at it with an architectonic point of view and examine our given research paper, primary research paper, uh, dovetails into, say, a lot of review articles uh, and a lot of research studies, clinical studies, for example, that ultimately generate an understanding of a given topic. And so that's what I do in authentic biochemistry. So uh, again, we're talking about T regulatory cells. And I introduced the subject a while back, and now I'm going to continue on. So <clears throat> Think about the fact that there are two types of primordial T cells, CD8 and CD4. And of course, they can be CD8, CD4 positive or only individually. So if you start off with a CD8 cell that has been activated by, let's say, a chemokine, for example, um, binding, uh, chemokine binding to the chemokine receptor 3, <laughs> that will activate CD8 and CD4 cells. Now, when they're activated, they need further activation so the transcription factors are enhanced. Those transcription factors are, can be generated, for example, via uh, interleukin-12. Now, if a CD8 T cell is um, bound to an interleukin-12 via its interleukin receptor, it will start to generate the T-bet transcription factor. And that T-bet transcription factor is still bound the with the chemokine receptor will become a cytotoxic T cell. And the, that, that cell will then generate interferon gamma, and it will enhance the Th1 inflammation response, which includes a lot of other pro-inflammatory uh, cytokines and chemokines, including chemokines CXCL9, 10, and CXCR receptor 3, the ligands for that. That's all via an interferon gamma-mediated response from a cytotoxic T cell as influenced by the chemokine receptor R3 and interleukin-12, transcription factor T-bet, and also the BLIMP-1. Now, the CD4 cell is activated via interleukin-12 and only 12. It also expresses T-bet, which is a transcription factor. It also has the chemokine receptor 3 on it. That becomes a Th1 cell because it no longer it does not possess the BLIMP1 uh, transcription factor. 
Now, again, in the presence of interferon gamma, that Tbet expressing cell will be a Th1 cell, which of course will uh, add to the Th1 inflammatory response. Now, that same CD4T cell <coughs> can be activated uh, covalently and via both interleukin-12 and interleukin-6. And when that occurs, you get expression uh, of two different transcription factors, BC16 or BCL6, excuse me, and the Tbet. Now, that cell becomes a T follicular helper cell or a TFH. Now, what are those? TFHs are a specialized subset of the CD4 uh, T cell lineage. And actually, they were first uh, described in the human tonsil, and that's why they're named that. They, they, uh, they actually play a critical role in protective immunity, and they also basically help B cells produce antibody against uh, a whole host of foreign pathogens. So the TFH cells, the T follicular helper cells, <coughs> are located typically in secondary lymphoid organs, also known as SLOs or SLOs. And those include, of course, the tonsil, the spleen, and all your lymph nodes. Okay, so that's another fate for CD4 cells if they are induced by interleukin-12 and interleukin-6, binding to their respective receptors, making the BCL-6 Tbet transcription factors. Now, that same cell that is expressing Tbet and BCL-6 can be further influenced by interleukin-21 and interferon gamma. That particular interaction will take a B cell, just a common B cell, and convert it to a B cell expressing BCL6, again, transcription factor. And then they'll start generating IgG2A. Now, that cell can go on to further express the BLIMP1, to continue to express Tbet now as a transcription factor. It'll release inter, um, uh, IgG2-alpha, that immunoglobulin, and it will become a plasma cell, right? So that's how you can activate B cells via this BCL6 Tbet cell which is basically a primordial TFH cell. And I told you that that helps the B cell response. That's what we just described. Now, the TH17 cells, totally different lineage to get there from the CD8, CD4, ex are expressing the ROR gamma T. Now, remember that's the retinoic acid orphan receptor, receptor gamma T cell lineage. That cell lineage, TH17, is in the presence of interleukin-12, will continue to make the transcription factor ROR gamma T, but it will also now express a Tbet. It will also have the receptor, all these cells have the receptor for CXCR3, that chemokine receptor. Now that cell lineage, TH17, in the presence of both interleukin-17 and interferon gamma will also contribute to the Th1-type inflammation. Finally, the Treg cell, well, finally it's a Treg cell, expressing the FOXP3, because that's what Treg cells do. They express FOXP3. That's the transcription factor. In the presence now of interleukin-27, binding to its receptor, still possessing that CXCR3 chemokine receptor, okay? All of that lineage now, that Treg lineage, in, will now block the Th1 inflammatory response. So Treg cells expressing transcription factor FOXP3 in the, in the presence of interleukin-27 will make Tbet 
and TBET and FOXP3 will actually create a Treg cell fully activated, which will now inhibit or slow down the inflammatory response. Now, all that information you can find in Trends in Immunology, a review article that was volume 38, pages 287 to 297, that was published back in 2017. Okay? So... That was where we are right now. Just we, we, You're totally inured in this pathway. That's exactly where I want you to be. Now, here's some details of Treg regulation. This is from a paper that we've been talking about, Experimental Molecular Medicine, Volume 51. This is article number 80. It was published recently, just this year, 2019. So let's go through the details. The transcription factor FOXP3 is an X-chromosome encoded Treg cell lineage determinating factor. Cytokine CGF-beta and looking to induce the expression of the FOXP3, thus generating that lineage of Treg. Interleukin-2 induces the JAK-STAT pathway, which I've talked about extensively in authentic biochemistry and also in Varev med lectures. And that cascade initiates actually FOXP3 transcription. And then that FOXP3 becomes a transcription factor as we just described, giving you fully activated Tregs, which will then put the brakes on Th1-mediated inflammatory response. Now, when TGF-beta binds to its receptor, the SMAD23 protein, which is a part of the signaling cascade, will be phosphorylated. When it becomes phosphorylated, it dissociates from its interaction with the membrane and translocates to the nucleus. Now you have the phosphorylated SMAD2, which binds to conserved enhancer regions or conserved non-coding sequences, they're called, of course, CNSs, at the FOXP3 locus. So these are enhancer regions that are going to ultimately induce the expression of that transcription factor. Now each of those CNSs contain unique binding domains for specific transcription factors, and each one of those help to regulate FOXP3. So there are multiple valencies and multiple um, coordinated enhancer regions that in full will enhance the full production transcription of FOXP3 or will help auto-regulate the transcription of that, thus ultimately regulating the fate of the Treg cell to its complete capacity of activation. Okay? So, for example, CNS1, okay, remember that is a non-coding sequence. It's going to be binding to SMAD2, which has been phosphorylated, after TGF-beta bound to its receptor and induced that phosphorylation. CNS1 is unnecessary for thymus-derived Tregs. Those are called TTregs, small t. So you don't need those for the thymus-derived Tregs. However, it plays a really important role in the periphery-derived Tregs. Those are called small p-Tregs. So that's, one, that's the role of CNS1. CNS2 has a FOXP3 binding site and contributes to Treg cell stability, while the CNS3, with its CREL binding site, actually increases Treg cell generation, that is, uh, division. So, FOXP3 activates Treg signature genes, including CTLA4, interleukin 2RA, TNF, uh, RSF18, which is the TNF receptor superfamily member 18 and also icos which is called the which is short for the inducible t cell co-stimulator all of those participate in the suppressive function and differentiation of the t regs so that's the details about t reg 
enhances the transcription rate of those all those downstream genes. Now, to demonstrate the physiological consequences of FOXP3 mutation, obviously, if this is upstream, you're going to get a lot of consequences from mutation there, or even, in fact, frank deletion. The, what happens is there's a result in when, 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 that, when there's a mutation or a disruption or a deletion of FOXP3, you get lymphoproliferative diseases characterized by multi-organ lymphocyte infiltration. Now, that's what you would expect to happen, right? So, and, and indeed, that's what, so that's what that's the job of the Treg. The job of the Treg is to stop that from happening. And when the Treg's transcription factor isn't functioning, it happens. All right. Now, I want you to think about what happens with the Treg cells, either wild type or where they're deficient in yet another factor. This factor is going to be called ID3. Okay. So this comes from uh, two papers. One is Nature Immunology 2011 from November. Uh, and it's uh, from November, volume 12. And also from a paper uh, from Cell Reports, volume 17, published in December of 2016. And those pages are 28, 27 ongoing. So from both of those papers, we're now going to explain something about the FOXP3. Now, during homeostasis, the wild-type Tregs, um, the ID3 protein is expressed. And that blocks this whole T-cell stimulation pathway, okay, which includes E47 going to SPIB, which both activate the SOX-S3, which will then all block FOXP3. So if FOXP3 is blocked, okay, if it's, if it's, if it's shut down, what will happen in, in, in that system, so if ID3 is deficient, if it's deficient or if it's down, all of that pathway I just told you about, E47, which gives you a high E47 activity, these are all transcription factors and, and part of the uh, transduction cascade. That will turn up SPIB, which will cause the activation of SOX-S3, which will ultimately then decrease expression of FOXP3. Now, when that happens, that's the result of ID3 down regulation. What happens then is that you have a FOXP3 deficient Treg cell, and it cannot block the hyperimmune response from the factor T cell. So let me give you a little bit more detail there. The regulatory T cell suppresses the development of inflammatory disease, I've been saying. But the knowledge of all the transcription regulators, because there's more than one, to actually control that function isn't yet fully figured out. So this ID system, this ID2 and is actually ID3, there's two different uh, global transcription factors involved here. Um, those are found in Treg cells and they're actually required to suppress the development of fatal inflammatory disease. So if you don't have them, as I just said, if you don't have ID3, you don't make FOXP3 through the whole E47 pathway. So T-cell antigen receptors, TCR-driven signaling, initially decreases the abundance of ID3. Okay, that all makes sense because you're inducing an immune response. But that leads to the activation of those follicular regulatory cells I just talked about, 
And that gives you that whole repertoire transcription signature I told you. However, a sustained lower abundance of ID2 and ID3, which is interfered, which interferes with proper development of the TFR cells, will then overall result in a depletion of ID2 and ID3 expression in the Treg cells. That's going to result in a compromised maintenance and a localiz- and both maintenance and localization of those Treg cells. Therefore, ID2 and ID3 enforce or maybe reinforce the TFR cell checkpoints, okay? And they actually control the maintenance and the homing of the Treg cells. So you need a lot of ID3 made in order to have an effective Treg population, which is expressing FOXP3 and blocking effector T cells. If your follicular T regulatory cells don't function in the correct capacity and you get a decrease in the abundance of ID2 and ID3, everything shuts down through the FOXP3 pathway ultimately, and you do not make a good Treg cell. So that's one component I want you to understand. The next thing to understand is from a cell paper published way back in 2011, uh, cell 146, pages 772 and onward, and it's about interleukin-6, hypoxia, increases in reactive oxygen, and nitric oxide. And also, two intermediates in the TCA cycle, yes, that's correct, fumarate and succinate. Now, why is TCA cycle involved here? It's whenever you're inhibiting or, or altering signal transduction pathways, you're also requiring energy. And the energy that's being generated, of course, is uh, from ATP hydrolysis. ATP is synthesized either by glycolysis, which is rather inefficient, or via the oxidation of pyruvate to acetyl-CoA, or its carboxylation then to OAA, thus turning on the TCA cycle. So if you have the TCA cycle fully functioning, you make a lot of NADH. The NADH is oxidized in the electron transport chain with the proton motive force across the intermitochondrial membrane. You get proton pumping F, uh, uh, five, uh, the F not F1 ATPase in complex five of the electron transport chain. You make ATP within the mitochondria. That's your, that's your real workhorse for making a lot of uh, ATP. Well, if you have any kind of problem with increases in reactive oxygen, you're going to get a buildup of intermediates in the TCA cycle, see? And that's going to also start tanking ATP levels. And as I just said, you need a lot of ATP to run the immune response. So it all fits together. So from a paper, that cell paper, uh, they talked about interleukin-6 or hypoxia. That's going to induce high levels of reactive oxygen, NO, and high levels of fumarate and succinate, the two TCA intermediates. Now, that's all going to induce the HIF-1. Okay, that's the hypoxia-inducible factor 1. So in the Th17 cells, what HIF-1 does is it acts as a nuclear receptor and it binds DNA as a monomer to the ROR gamma T response, okay? So that's the, remember that is the retinoic acid orphan receptor response elements. So HIF-1 is going to bind to that and it's going to cause the expression of the ROR gamma T system. This is going to be a TH17 cell system here, a TH17 lineage. That's going to all promote, the HIF ones that I'm going to promote through the ROR gamma T, TH17 cells through transcriptional activation. You're going to get IL-17 produced, and the IL-17 is enhancing 
uh, another level of hierarchical transcription pattern, which is going to further promote Th17 differentiation that's pro-inflammatory. In fact, it contributes to the Th1 response. All that's going down, okay? A couple of the proteins are involved there, P300, STAT3. I told you the Roar gamma, gamma T is involved there, and of course, CF1. All that to generate L17 in Th17 cells. Now, that same transcription factor, HIF1, induced by L6 and hypoxia, for example, and reactive oxygen and nitric oxide and fumarin succinate, you get HIF1 in a Treg cell, it's going to bind up with FOXP3 and a series of other proteins. Okay, so you're going to have HIF1 with FOXP3, you're going to get a ubiqui polyubiquitination of the FOXP3. And what happens then? Oh, yeah, FOXP3 gets degraded in the proteasome. And that actually prevents, right, Treg differentiation. So HIF1 prevents Treg differentiation while it promotes TH17 differentiation. This is an inflammatory response system, right? This is canonical pro-inflammation. So a little bit more about the nuclear receptor that binds to that, that ROAR element. I just told you about that, um, that, that ROAR response element or ROAR, R-O-R-E. It contains a single core motif, which is a, actually a half-site AGGTCA uh, nucleotide sequence. It's preceded by a short AT-rich sequence. So all of that's key regulator of cellular differentiation. And of course, because you're talking about TH17 cells, the immune response, and indeed, it even is associated with peripheral circadian rhythms. And now listen to this. That same system is involved in lipid, that is acylipid fatty acid, steroidogenesis, and also xenobiotic and glucose metabolism. Xenobiotics, of course, are the SIP pathways in the ER. So that's a tremendously important system. Um, it, it's all considered to have an intrinsic transcriptional activity, okay? Once you get that whole HIF-1 system going. You have some natural ligands like oxysterols that turn this on. You also have agonists like 25-hydroxysterol. Or you have inverse agonists, okay, which then prevent the activation. That's what an inverse activist is. It just prevents the activation. It doesn't inhibit. It's not an antagonist. And those are the oxygenated sterols, okay? So oxysterols actually um, prevent the activation of that immune system. So that enhances or represses, depending on the environment that's occurring within the cell, transcriptional activity. So this all basically recruits a distinct combination of cofactors, this HIF-1, to target all those gene regulatory regions I just mentioned, and it modulates the transcriptional expression and activation depending on the tissue, the cell type, the timing, and the promoter context. So this is all a lot to do with a, a dialectical event ontology based on cellular differentiation. So it's not a um, one size fits all. So if you're thinking about uh, pharmacotherapeutic responses to promote or inhibit immune responses, you're not going to get very far with this because as you turn on one system, you turn off the other. And that differential regulation usually means you end up with a, uh, a, a net of no sum game. Okay. So that's not what you want when you're trying to regulate the immune response. Now, this information, so you see, we're going along, we're explaining more of the Treg system to you. Now, the information I'm going to tell you now comes from a paper published in Frontiers in Immunology. This is published back 28th of September in 2015. 
So, so this paper is going to talk about, again, the CD4, CD8, double positive lineage. This is coming off the thymus, these T cells. They're going to interact with, uh, for example, a cortical uh, epithelial cell. That cortical epithelial cell is going to have an MHC class 2 self-antigen co-stimulatory signal, which is going to now bind to and activate that CD4, CD8 double positive T cell coming right out of the thymus. So when you have high TCR self-reactivity, remember that's a T cell receptor activity, you can go directly apoptosis, okay? Directly to apoptosis. You can just kill that T cell right now if you get it, if it's a self-reactive system because you don't want self-antigens activating the T cell. But you can also get an intermediate TC, uh, T cell receptor self-reactivity, which involves a TGF beta signaling that will allow for the differentiation of those, those T cells into CD4 positive, CD25 positive, FOXP3 T cells. Then in the presence of interleukin-2 and interleukin-15, now you've got full-blown CD4 plus, CD25 plus, FOXP3 cells, all FOXP3 expressing. And you're going to get now um, the committed CD4, CD25 FOXP3 T cell lineage, okay? And that's going to involve actually a demethylation patterning that's going to allow for Treg development. That demethylation, of course, is going to now do an epigenetic signature change and allow those Treg cells to completely in, uh, develop. Now, that's all happening in the thymus. You can also get those T cells directly into the periphery. Those would be CD4 positive naive T cells and the presence of, uh, expressing the TCR, the T cell receptor, the TGF beta interleukin 2, you're going to go right, right in the periphery to the CD4 plus, CD25 plus, FOXP3 T cells. And then in the presence of TGF beta, you're going to go into an uncommitted CD4, CD25, FOXP3 T cell. So committed in the thymus, uncommitted in the periphery. So Treg cells, remember, they develop both places. We have the T, remember the T, T regs and the P, T regs, T for thymus, P for periphery. Remember that. So the CD4, CD8 T cell lineages undergo this negative selection I just told you about in the thymus, and they become mature T reg cells only when they're introduced with interleukin 2 and interleukin 15 and the TGF beta signaling. And the periphery, I told you it's just CD4 cells, those naive T cells. You don't have that other lineage, you don't have the CD8. They encounter an antigen, for example, and they'll differentiate directly into PT regs, but they need that presence of TGF beta. Okay, so now you get the idea of what's going on. You get the really complex. Now you're looking at different subcellular domains: thymus versus periphery. This is all still T reg regulation. Right? Now the next step I'm going to get into here uh, in the next segment of our discussion of T regs is going to be all the epigenetics. I'm going to tell you about methylation patterns and acetylation patterns of CPG islands and of histones. And that's going to explain a lot more about the detail of how FOXP3 is used to regulate via the T cell receptor and the CD28 co-receptor uh, families with the TGF beta receptor, how all of that is going to regulate the Treg cells uh, ultimately down, down to where we need to be uh, so that they're either fully activated or they themselves uh, go into a, a, uh, a senescence phase. 
So that's the next step of the discussion is going to be epigenetics. My, one of my favorite topics in all of biology is epigenetics. I think that's really where the action is in terms of responding to the environment where you have genetics interacting with the environment and inducing the epigenetic phenomenon, which is also neuroimmunoregulatory and inflammatory. Well, that's for next time. Uh, we're done with this time. And all I have to do for now is to say this is Dr. Dan Guerra saying uh, bye for now.